Good morning, everyone. I'm reading from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And then reading from Matthew, Chapter 23, verses 37 to 39. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather you children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as we uh, heard uh, in Abby's prayer, this week has had some great excitement. It's been a joy to see and hear a number of you have been able to get your uh, first vaccination shots, so that's really exciting. Um, by the way, or BT dubs, as my kids like to say, uh, Kevin Lies Get Well Clinic is doing vaccinations for 60 to 64 year old, so uh, vaccine.getwellclinic.ca if you're in that age group. Uh, another thing that was awesome this week is Mon, uh, the girls and I, Al and our dog Kaya, we got to meet, well at least from six feet away, we got to meet the beautiful baby James Ronising. So uh, that was a big lifter of our spirits uh, this week. Uh, Jeremy and Caitlin, you could sell tickets, I think, to that to People who want to lift their spirits, charge the money to come, come meet your beautiful son. Anyway. Another exciting thing is Adora got married yesterday. So it was a, a beautiful ceremony online, thanks to YouTube. And uh, anyway, so it was really exciting. Adora and Oliver, we are excited for you. And well, Oliver, I can't wait to meet you. Thanks to COVID, that hasn't happened yet. But um, anyway, we're thankful uh, and excited for you too. This week, of course, has had some really hard times, adding, uh, in addition to a pandemic, uh, of course, the funeral of Faith Holwyn's daughter uh, was last uh, weekend, and so let's keep praying for Faith and for her daughter's family. And something that I feel is important to address up front uh, is something else that was in the news, uh, to address up front this increase of racism and violence uh, specifically toward the Asian community uh, that's been increased around the world and here in Canada. Racism and violence that, as many of us know, was brutally exemplified in this week's spa shootings in Atlanta. I want to read some words from Jennifer Lau. She is the Con Executive Director of Canadian Baptist Ministries, and, and I, um, I thought that she has words that I, I could never come up with that uh, I wanted to read for you. Uh, it's, she called her, her, her message a statement on anti-Asian violence from the CBM executive director. 
She writes, In the past few years, we have all watched as heinous acts of violence have been perpetrated against racialized communities and individuals. We felt the outrage, fear, and anger expressed by these communities and the deep pangs of injustice. Recently, we have seen the rise of hatred directed toward the Asian community in the West, including here in Canada, as they are unfairly targeted and blamed for the frustration caused by this pandemic. Um, I would add to that that there was already <laughs> uh, racism embedded from long before that, not just because of the pandemic, but that definitely opened up um, a new thing. Even the mo- she goes on, even the most vulnerable and respected people in these communities, the elderly, grandmothers and grandfathers have been attacked as they go about their daily lives. This past week, the continued escalation of this hatred brought about the senseless deaths of eight people in Atlanta, six of whom were Asian women. Jennifer goes on to say how this, of course, is her community as an Asian Canadian woman, and that she cannot stay silent and and allow fear to win. She writes, to not speak out is akin to condoning these acts. Now is the time we must all raise our voices and decry these despicable acts of evil. There are those who still choose to deny the realities that racialized people experience daily. And she ends with this. Today I ask you simply this. Be our ally. All racialized people, but particularly in this time Asian people, need allies who will not stay silent. I ask you to stand not just behind us, but beside us in solidarity during our time of pain. Stand with me and every Asian friend, neighbor, colleague, business owner, or church member you know. Reach out to them to tell them that you are with us, that we are not fighting this battle alone. This violence and hatred must stop, not just for the Asian community, but for all people of every race, ethnicity, and culture. Talk about racism in your churches and actively take a stand and voice against it as a congregation. I ask this not just for me, but for my children and all our children who deserve to live in a world without fear. We must work together if we wish to see a different future than this current fractured and bleak reality. So to my Asian friends and neighbors, colleagues, business owners, or church members, I do want to say that I personally and that we as a church leadership stand with you. We stand with you while the news of this violence and hatred is in the headlines. And we stand with you when the news cycle moves on as it always does. But the reality of racism continues in your lives and in your communities. Now, there isn't really a a transition from from that, is there? So, quick stop and um, we'll move on to our passages for the morning. So if you've been with us uh, for the past number of weeks, sorry, I just need a second here. (laughs) If you've been with us for the past number of weeks, you know that we are in a season of the church year called Lent, where we journey with Jesus towards his death on the cross and the Easter celebration of his resurrection. One activity a number of us are doing together is an online devotional called Lent for Everyone, 
Uh, there are still a few weeks left of Lent, so if anyone out there wants uh, to join us, you can, uh, uh, you can do so. I guess just email office at springgardenchurch.ca. One thing that I've been enjoying about this devotional is reading through the entire Gospel of Matthew and doing so through the lens of the cross. This week, one of the readings included the passage from Matthew that Karen read for us, as well as uh, today's devotional is on the psalm that uh, Karen read for us, Psalm 130. And I was actually struck by the ironic uh, interplay between these two passages. So in Psalm 130 that Karen read for us, uh, it's a musical prayer that was what's called a song of ascents, a song of ascent, as in going up. It is a song that the Jews would have sung as they pilgrimaged on their way to Jerusalem, a song they would have sung, a prayer they would have said as they went up to the temple for worship. And in the psalm, Jerusalem, the city is... uh, is to be considered the center of the nation. It's the center of the Jewish nation, both in its government, but also in its worship, is that is the place where the temple was. And this song sings and speaks of the assurance that they had in God's care and forgiveness. God hearing their cries from the depths, offering them forgiveness and redemption from their sin with unfailing love. And centered in the middle of the psalm is the commitment to wait, to wait for God with your whole being, waiting and watching attentively, just like a guard who is tasked with protecting the city will be vigilant and keeping watch all night. So the people of Jerusalem, worshipers of Israel's God, are waiting and watching in hopeful assurance to see God's coming to the city. And then we, we take that and we read Jesus' words in Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. The psalm is Jerusalem committing to watch for God coming, But when God did come, when God sent prophets to speak on God's behalf, and when God sent his own son, Jerusalem's eyes were closed. They were blind to seeing God, deaf to God's messengers, and so, not recognizing them, not recognizing Jesus, they rejected and killed those who they sent, who God sent. And one of the main reasons that they didn't recognize God in the prophets or in Jesus was because they were watching for the wrong thing. It's like in those, you know, movies with there's like a classic blind date scene. uh, And it's in so many movies and TV shows. You know, the main character is going on this blind date. And they've created this image of the person in their head of who this person's going to be. And so when they arrive at the meeting spot to meet this blind date, they actually don't recognize the person they're supposed to be meeting, and they end up going up to the wrong person. And then after walking right past the right person, who you know is a watcher, uh, is by the end of the movie is going to turn out to be their one true love when they realize they were looking for all of the wrong things, right? Many of us, we, we know this story, 
unless uh, you were fortunate enough to miss every rom-com ever made. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the teachers of the law, they had their minds set on the wrong thing. They went and started dating the wrong girl. Instead of pursuing their true love, they pursued other things that, in fairness to them, things that they thought were the right things, things that they had interpreted from God's scriptures to them, but they had misinterpreted, and so they were looking for the wrong things. Then in Matthew chapters 21 to 23, so our passage today is the end of this section. This three-chapter section in Matthew paints a picture of Jesus' conflict with the Jewish leaders, and it climaxes with Jesus giving them a list of woes against them. Then these woes that Jesus says are the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Now, this is what leads the Jewish leaders to finalize their plans to kill Jesus. And in these rebukes, Jesus challenges the religious leaders for their hypocritical and superficial religiosity, religious practices that make them look really righteous on the outside while being full of hypocrisy and what Jesus calls wickedness in the ways that they have put heavy burdens on others and the ways that they neglect the most important matters of the law, namely justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So blinded by their superficial religiosity that they completely missed the point of what was truly important in their religion. They had pious acts of religiosity instead of holy acts of love. And my wife, uh, Monica, was uh, at a spiritual retreat this week. And of course, by at, I mean she was on the computer in our dining room. And she thought uh, I would have appreciated one of the speakers. Uh, And the speaker made the point that if you actually know the God of the gospel, you can't be indifferent about human trafficking. Now, to me, of course, I do, I would appreciate this speaker because I completely agree with that. But I would add, if you really know the heart of God, you can't be indifferent towards those who are suffering on the margins, those who are in deep poverty, those who are harassed or bypassed because of the color of their skin or because of their gender, or because of the industry that they, are worked in, that they work in, usually because it is a necessity to survive. Now, these are common themes in the Old Testament prophets. The ones that God sent to Israel to tell them, you're missing the point. You are missing the mark. Now, missing the mark uh, is, if you haven't heard that expression, it's a common definition for what sin is. It's a picture of shooting an arrow at a target, um, but when you shoot the arrow, it doesn't land where it should. It misses the target. It misses the mark. The Old Testament prophets often say, You're sinning, you're missing the mark when you focus on your religious festivals and your spiritual practices of ceremonial holiness, but you leave the poor and hungry, the foreigner unwelcomed, the sick uncared for, and so on and so on. 
So as Jesus is saying here, the prophets, the ones bringing God's message of God to the people, calling them to turn their hearts to what really matters, these messengers were ignored, rejected, hunted down, and killed. And as we see here in Matthew 23, in this kind of list of charges that Jesus makes against the Jewish religious leaders, they continue to reject the word of God to them through the prophets. They continue to live out the sham of holiness through outward and superficial religiosity, no matter how well the intent is. A religiosity that is so superficial, they make a show about honoring the prophets outwardly, while rejecting the very things that the prophets stood for. Let me read this again. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. It's kind of like thinking highly of people who are known for working with the poor, like Mother Teresa or Bill Gates or perhaps more locally someone like Rick Tobias. You know, you're thinking and speaking highly of these people while at the same time being thankful that your neighborhood association is advocating to keep subsidized affordable housing out of your safe neighborhood. Or perhaps another example is like thinking land acknowledgements or teaching about residential schools in our education system is a great way to honor our First Nations people, but then rolling your eyes when the topic of increasing federal and provincial funds to help with reserves and the water crisis is on them when you roll their eyes when those things come up. In fact, a great example of this came up uh, yesterday. Uh, yesterday, in the National Post, uh, published an article by Conrad Black. Conrad Black, and he, Conrad Black calls the article the truth about truth and reconciliation. In this article, Black, purporting to want what's best for all Canadians, including First Nations peoples, he writes this, Aboriginal people have legitimate grievances that the country's policy in regard to them has been unsuccessful and that this is a serious policy challenge where we simply have to do better. Right? That sounds great. That sounds fantastic. But like the Pharisees saying that they celebrate the prophets, Black is saying he is on the side of Aboriginal peoples in Canada. But then he goes on to literally whitewash history, saying things like, and I quote, the French conducted a Christianizing mission which attempted to assist the natives in adopting European norms and encouraging First Nations to become Christian agrarian societies as this was seen as the best and fairest method of helping Aboriginal people adapt to modern civilization. Attempted to assist, encouraging, best, fairest, helping by twisting the narrative, Black is trying to claim how wonderful white Europeans were to Aboriginal peoples. You know, though, you know, a few mistakes were made along the way, but overall, this was to help, to support, to encourage. And with this, he whitewashed the view of history. He argues 
that the report from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in 2015 was a fearful misnomer. In other words, the commission misled us to question that our history and current policies embedded with systemic racism. I can't wait to read his next article where he's going to try to uh, say why Canadian Asian women should be thankful at this time. Thankful for our Canadian history of treating the Chinese immigrants as necessary to build our railroads, but undesirable as citizens. Now, if you don't know what that is referring to, Google Chinese Immigration Act of 1885 and 1923, and you will find out some more of our heinous, heinous history, not just towards First Nations people, but towards the Chinese, of course, the Japanese internment camps during World War II, and on and on and on. By Black's method of argument, one could say that the Asian community's increased experience of racism and violence against them is a fearful misnomer, that it isn't as bad as they think it is. And to that, I think Jesus says, Woe to you hypocrites, blind fools, you who whitewash your history so you can turn a blind eye and stay safe in your delusions of what's been good for me must be good for everyone else. You who silence the prophets that say administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And we see something in Jesus here in these chapters of Matthew that can be hard to hear. Well, hard to hear if you want Jesus to only be a soft, pampering type of Jesus. You know, if you just want a sweet little baby Jesus. Here we see a fiery Jesus. We see anger and disappointment and frustration, a harshness that makes us uncomfortable. However, we need to keep in mind that Jesus' very own people, the people God had called for centuries to be his people, to live out his heart in the world, they had strayed so far. The best metaphor that I could think of for this uh, and I'm, there's, like all metaphors, it breaks down very quickly. But the best metaphor I could think of is what it would like to be to be a parent of a criminal. To raise your child to be loving and thoughtful, a positive presence in the world, a child that you see, you know, you see the beauty and the heart and the hope in them. But instead, your baby does terrible things to other people. Your heart breaks for them. You want nothing for them but to come back to you, to find healing, to change direction, to be all that they could be. But they keep choosing instead to do terrible things. Ted Bundy, who's an infamous serial killer, his mother, though he, she was broken by his deplorable actions, before his execution, she still assured him, you'll always be my precious son. The heartbreak that parents feel, not only about their lost child, but also about the pain that their child has caused others, it's unbearable. And this, in some ways, is the relationship that God as Heavenly Father has with His children. 
the Israelites, the Pharisees, and I think in some ways us, when we don't hear and we don't respond. God can't stand to see his children behaving so deplorably. So he keeps sending prophets to bring them back, but they keep killing him. And so he sends his only son in the hopes that they will see what they have done, that they will see who he is, and they will return to his heart. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left desolate. No matter how far gone God's people were, he kept trying to gather them under his wing but they were not willing. Picture a fire burning through a farm and a mother hen is trying to gather her chicks together under her wing. But instead of the safety and protection of, their, of her wing, they choose to run instead to the fire. Like that fire image, Jesus is a mother hen trying to gather people under his wing. And do you know what happens to the mother hen in that image? She burns, right? She dies. She becomes, I don't know, dinner. She burns so that her chicks can live. In our devotional yesterday, the author writes, we are watching two different scenes God's judgment on his rebellious people and Jesus standing in the way, offering to take that judgment upon himself. I think Jesus has the same encouragement and the same challenge for us today. We have the choice. Are we willing? We can choose to be legalistic in our religiosity and miss the whole point. We can choose to be indifferent, apathetic, which means hypocritical, unwilling to receive and live out the heart of God. Or we can be gathered under God's wing and be watchful, waiting and listening for the places where he calls us to be love, light, justice, righteousness, and mercy in the world. But to do this, we need to be willing we need to be willing to open our eyes and our ears to hear Jesus' words, to see him working. Willing to receive his rebuke when we have strayed or gotten caught up in legalistic religiosity and have lost sight of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And the amazing thing about God's love and forgiveness is no matter how far we've strayed, or for how long we have strayed, he is always willing to bring us back under his wing with forgiveness and unfailing love. It was for the joy of drawing us back into the heart of God that Jesus put himself in the way, offering forgiveness and tenderness that we would be forgiving and tender. So let us keep our eyes open, waiting and watching 
putting our hope in the Lord with whom there is unfailing love. Right, let's pray. God, no matter how far we have strayed, no matter how many times we just completely miss the point and we need to be drawn back. Whether drawn back by tenderness or by rebuke, you welcome us back. You offer forgiveness and you gather us under your wings. God, we do not want to be a people who at the end of the day were blind to who you really are and to what you are calling us to. We don't want to be people who miss out on your kingdom of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Help us to hear your voice and the voices of those you send. Help us see your hand in the hands of those who do your work. And help us to come alongside you in true faithfulness and true spirituality that loves you in the fullness of our being and loves our neighbor as ourselves. Amen.